Welcome to episode 94 of the Motorific Podcast. This is Christy. I'm here with Joanne. We're doing coast-to-coast recording, as usual. And I thank you for joining us and enduring a little wait. We both love our weekends. Joanne works for half of hers. I work for the rest of the week. So really, the only time we can come together is on a Sunday. So thank you for being patient. What do we got this time around? As far as selling gear, selling bikes, we can bounce some opinions and read some articles. I don't know whether or not we discussed KTM having a recall. Probably they not. Might also be looking to develop an electric version of a street bike as opposed to their electric free ride, um, which is an off road one. But. Uh, that is what I have to contribute. Um, I'm going out to Atlanta next week, so I should have some fun stuff to chat about when I get back. We had tons of industry events. If you're, uh, well, yes. I suppose when this when this gets published tomorrow, they will be over. <laughs> but basically, this this weekend was a trifecta of different things going on. There was the Quail Motorcycle Gathering, which I think yeah. is its seventh or eighth running and they're discussing uh trying to make it a one week long event as opposed to just a saturday so they've developed a friday kind of evening in addition to the friday day which is like a a motorcycle ride that is a a little bit spendy but totally worth it um if you have the money to go riding around the monterey peninsula and they always do a couple laps at laguna seca so if it is your goal in life to go out onto Laguna Seca, not necessarily with leathers and putting a putting a knee or a shoulder down. Um, then they offer, I think, a couple of laps there. You're always in good company with plenty of motorcycle industry, as well as some racing veterans and some people who have been riding for a very long time. When you do that ride, they had an evening gathering, which they did not have last year, and they also have Sunday events. So they're trying to develop more motorcycle-related events in addition to the quail to keep you up in Monterey longer, which, you know, is never a bad thing. It's Mm -mm. got some really great roads, great museums, some private collections, great food, great views. Mm -hmm. Um, And perhaps by next year's event, the bridge will be back in action by Pfeiffer State Park in Big Sur, and that way you can take the lovely road that crosses between the coastal ranges and the 101 through the military base. So that's my favorite way to go. But unfortunately, that road spits out south. The bridge will be back in action in Big Sur as it fell during um, during some of the massive rains that they've had in a landslide. So that pretty much eliminated the exciting road of crossing over Fort Hunter Leggett military base in between the coastal ranges and the 101. So hopefully um, by next year, I'll be able to ride up there and take my favorite little route. Um, there's also uh, Supercross ended this weekend in uh, Vegas. I believe Ryan Dungey won. I hope mm-hmm. I'm not spoiling that for someone. Um, and as well, there is an event called the Outliers Guild which was its first year, a custom motorcycle show. Mm-hmm. And it was held in downtown LA in uh, uh, the container yard, which is kind of like a loft warehouse space in the art district. Cool. And uh, had a couple of sponsors. I think that event is 
jointly put on by a couple of uh, motorcycle industry builders, um, but one of which I know is attached to that is Jay LaRosa of Losa Engineering. So I went to that last night just to catch up with a couple of people and check it out. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I got on deck. Well, I came back from... As a quick summary, that is. (laughs) Yes. Yes, so please tell us about your Austin trip. Austin was fantastic. It was my first time going to MotoGP specifically in Austin. I've been to, I think, four Laguna Seca MotoGPs when they were still doing it in the late, whatever, early 2000s. Late 2000? I don't even know how to describe that. Between 2000, I want to say 8 to 11. But I'd never been to Austin specifically. It was really fun. The food is outstanding. And the track is also fantastic. A little bit easier to get around, I think, than Laguna Seca. Laguna is a little more hilly. And you have to, I think, walk in kind of different places to get to different things. And I liked uh, I liked how the track's laid out. So it's not going to take you forever if you want to kind of cross over and maybe hit a different corner. Um, also, kind of the way the corners are set up, you can park and hang out in like one spot and see two or three simultaneous corners and views because at at Laguna Seca, I always found that if you pick one corner, that's all you can really see, except maybe the middle of the or the lower part of the corkscrew, then you could see the top of the corkscrew and then them going down and away. But um, Austin has a lot of viewpoints and a lot of uh, grass, so you can go sit on the grass and watch at any corner. Uh, just a really nice track to check out. I also went up into the tower. So if you look at photos of the Circuit of Americas, there's this peculiar tower and it's 25 flights of stairs, I think. It was something in the, like the mid-20s. Unfortunately, the elevator was down. Mm-hmm. So we had to walk up and down. Still charge you 10 bucks. But uh, the elevator was broke down all weekend, so a lot of people oh, actually. Really? Yeah, a lot I'd of people. I'd be doing half up. price at least. <laughs> it was. Uh, it wasn't that bad. Like it wasn't ninety. So I think if it were really hot, I might have said no thanks. But it was like low seventies, high sixties. So it was like I'd say a pretty okay climb. I I made it. I didn't die. Uh, a good workout. Um, a lot of people actually climbed up and, and then, you know, you would stop and pause like five flights up, take a picture, check out the view. Cause the view is beautiful, even just from the landing, you know, at yeah. the third story. So I took a lot of photos, uh, on Instagram and I also made a blog post recently this week with, um, well, like a nice handful of photos, uh, showing the view from the top of the tower. So you can kind of see the whole track. And all the red, white, and blue that is Texas on the tracks. There's a lot of stars and a lot of red and white striping. It's really beautiful. I actually thought the Circuit of the Americas was a gorgeous track. Just when you look at it, you're like, wow, this is really breathtaking. And it's really pretty. And probably partly because it's so new. 
You know, it's what, a three-year-old track? Yeah. yeah I was going like, to say that definitely helps. It's brand new and everyone's We super don't have excited. that in the U.S. Yeah. Maybe someday it'll go back to Laguna Seca. I don't know. Laguna Seca will need a reboot before that yeah, happens. Yeah. But they also do Formula One there. And they do some other car racing. So if you're into car and motorsports racing, I definitely would check out the Circuit of the Americas. It's it's a really cool track. And um, though, you know, they had some really cool setups, of course, the, quote, Ducati Island, which is just a kind of large, tented off uh, location just for Ducati but of course anyone can go in there so you can go check that out they had a huge stage and music as well and they have an amphitheater right kind of in the front of the theater or front of the circuit so they do different shows and um, different entertainment there but they also of course had tents for a lot of brands Uh, Yamaha Suzuki you know KTM a little smaller BMW tent. Uh, even Guzzi had a little tent there. And and uh, Indian, hmm. they had a little tent. Not as big, of course, as KTM or Ducati. Uh, noticeably missing was Triumph. So they didn't have any kind of presence there. But so that means we got to see a lot of Yamahas, Hondas, and KTMs. So checked out some of the newer leader bikes that I haven't really those are also close. those are also the brands that are represented at GP yes. as well. Yeah, so I think yeah. that I think that might be. I mean, it's not well, an yeah. excuse if you're not represented on the track yeah. to not try to market your motorcycle to yeah, people who are Indian, more familiar with other brands. But Indian was there, you know. You know yeah, very true. Just thought it was kind of a bummer. So Indian right. is Indian is investing in a lot of. Um, different events mm-hmm. that putting their sense. presence out there they were at the yeah. outliers guild as well and cool. uh, doing the push with roland sands i'll let you get back to your gp yeah, yeah. commentary um so it was really cool and we you know we hung out all over the track and walked around to different corners so we'd we hang out on one corner on saturday and then we kind of went to another little spot just to check out different views of the action on Sunday, we stuck around for Moto America, which was the final race at around 3 o'clock after GP was done. They started at 2, they finished at 3, and then Moto America hit the stage. So that was really cool to watch. I actually went up to some grandstands. But since it was the last race of the day, they weren't really concerned whether you had a ticket or not for that particular part. So I, w- I went to the pretty much the main grandstand and went right up and just sat down and met some friends. It was actually kind of cool. So we got to see another part of the track and uh, it's just a really nice, nice view. And it's, it's really cool to see racing live. It's definitely a different experience. And I would do it at least one time in, I don't know, your 30, 40 years of riding. I would just visit MotoGP at least once. You're not only supporting MotoGP, but you also support Moto America, which is a United States only, uh, I guess, GP of sorts for motorcycle racing. So it's it they travel around also to about I don't know six eight different tracks around the U.S. So the Moto America series is also brands like Yamaha, Suzuki, um, that sort of thing. Some factory teams, some private ones. So pretty cool to see them in action. 
We also went to the hand-built show on Friday, so that was really nice. I didn't go all weekend. We just went Friday night and uh, saw a lot of really beautiful hand-built bikes. I didn't take pictures of all of them, but I, I just took a few photos of some ones I thought were really, really cool. Quitter. Including a, Should have taken uh, them all. Well, I'm not the best <laughs> photographer. Mm. Neither am um, I. But uh, trust me, you've got far more talent than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, Evan took a couple photos for me as well. But I took photos of this beautiful rebuilt GS. It was a Suzuki GS 1000, I want to say. And it was probably in the late 80s model super sport, like a thousand cc, but fully not. And it looks nothing like it did back then. It was naked. So no body work, just the tank. Uh, they fully, of course, repainted and redid the tank, and they redid everything on it. So it was unrecognizable, but it was so pretty. It was very simple, classic, standard uh, black. They had the Motodemic single headlight conversion mm-hmm. with the LEDs, and it looked really cool. And then he installed like an LED fuel cap. So like there was like a little ring of lights, cool lights around the fuel cap. So I posted those photos on my, my blog as well with my uh, MotoGP post. So yeah, I saw a couple of really cool different bikes. I saw Sarah there too, Sarah Schilke. Um, she's the national marketing director for BMW Motorrad. So I got to say hi to her and some other friends. Got to see Brittany Morrow, of course. We got to chat and hang out. I uh, got to talk to some girls about the women's sport bike rally coming up. So that's a good segue because I will be attending, uh, well, assuming I can get my travel in place, I will be going to the West Coast rally in July. That's July 14 to 16 in Big Bear Lake. And my cohort here, Christy, she will also be attending, will both be presenting uh, I'm going to present two seminars, and uh, one is going to be about gear, and then the second one is going to talk about riding tall bikes. So we're going to kind of talk about all the different strategies that you can use to ride the motorcycle of your dreams. And here's a, a rare opportunity for um, an incentive for anyone listening who may be interested in attending the Women's Sport Bike Rally or might be especially skilled at or, or curious at uh, the kind of things that float around in my brain, have no idea how to form a presentation because, honestly, um, as far as travel, I know that's probably a skill that I have. But, you know, as I was telling Joanne, my idea of travel is like just uh, the bare minimum, buying a ticket and or, you know, getting a map and just going. I don't plan especially um, route sometimes or otherwise. So if you think that there is something in my head that is especially curious and you would like to know more about, um, I can, uh, definitely try to cater my presentation around it and I will try to make whatever I come up with. If you aren't at the event available, um, outside of the event as well. So help me, help me help you. What can I talk about? Cause that's still, uh, on in hot debate. Even drive out, uh, you don't have to be on a bike to attend this rally. 
The rally is all about sport bikes and performance machines. So if you want to ride one and you don't know anything about them or you don't know what you should buy or whether you even should buy a sport bike, uh, what the options are, it's a great place to like ask questions, find out what's out there, because you'll probably see a little bit of everything as far as, quote, sport bikes, since that term is kind of it's much more broad now, the definition, than it used, so to speak. So just a cool opportunity to meet other women who ride. In, and if you want to bring your partner and you don't want to come alone, then sure, they can come too. If you go to the registration page, you'll see how you can register your guest, whether they're male or female. Of course, all women riders are, are welcome, but the, the content and the focus is certainly on women who love sport bike riding or are interested in sport bikes. But um, I'm hoping to see kind of a nice variety of women out there. So come on out, check out the website, womensportbikerally.com. And then if you are on the East Coast, of course, there'll be an event in September, which I will also be at. So we'll touch more on that a little bit later. Because that's where she spends her days. <laughs> And the east side, yeah. But yeah, so I think, um, you know, if I can get some help from the six listeners that we have <laughs> on what I can talk about, um, then so we could potentially hash together a really nice plan. And geez, I can't remember the last time Joanne and I rode together. And uh, maybe I'll just get like an Airbnb up there for the weekend instead of staying at a hotel. So we could probably yeah. also record from... From the event. So we're, we're thinking about some stuff. Well, the resort is also really great. And Is it a resort? Uh, I don't know yeah. a lot about it. <laughs> haven't it's looked. At, it's at a big, big bear valley resort, I believe. And it's a beautiful, it looks awesome, by the way. So it, I'd say it's a really cool place to uh, set up camp for a few days or to hang out with us. So it's all happening kind of in this central location and there's a village big bear village uh if you look at go to the website click on the event and you'll see the accommodation information and see kind of where everything is and where you can stay and everything it's the lodge at big bear lake near nc bike or garysburg north carolina there's a ladies only track day it's tpm track day girl May 19th, Friday, it has a really, really good rate for the track day. It's probably the least expensive track day you've ever done. You can also sign up your partner for a separate session, I believe. So there's actually options if you are coming with your partner as well. But it is a women's uh, track day hosted by Team Promotion. They're a really great track school out here on the East Coast. So check that out. Post a link to that. So much fun. Wish I weren't like th three days away from North Carolina. Otherwise I would get my butt out there. Really need to do a track day this year. Like way overdue. Well, that's yeah. that's another event you can drag uh, the, the hubby into. <laughs> Yeah, no, totally. We're trying to do a track day this summer, either at New Jersey or maybe up at New York. We just have to figure out where we want to go. Um, 
you know, whether we'll trailer the bikes or what we want to do, but we're definitely, it's on the calendar for us to go do a track day the, before the season's over for sure. Or just even a advanced training class. Like, uh, what I want to do is, um, sign up for the California Superbike school class that's coming to New Jersey. They have a class in July and it's a slightly different kind of track school. I, I think a little bit more training, like a little bit more one-on-one uh, interaction and more street-focused training versus track-specific training. I think it's just a very different experience than a traditional, quote, track day. So um, we're going to bring our own bike so you can actually bring your bike and do the class or put out a little bit of money and rent a really nice BMW. But I want to ride better on my bike, so... That's where I'm hoping uh, it'll be a really good experience. It was the revved up women's motorcycle expo? Well, it can't just be women's motorcycle expo. It has to be revved up. It was April 28th to 30th, mm-hmm. right in Texas. 28th to 29th in mm-hmm. San Antonio. Yeah. So they had kind of a variety of speakers. Like Brittany was there. Uh, they had maintenance speakers and they had kind of a nice variety of content and then they also had a women's industry panel so do you want to give us a little more info about that that one um well basically uh dealer news did a recap so dealer news i think is uh basically all the power sports retailers the voice so that's not something that a lot of people, I think, check out just because they're not in the dealer spectrum. It's more of an industry-specific publication. Um, it, it's also basically reporting that the industry panel says that the dealers are failing um, at selling to women riders, which it'll be interesting to see what kind of blowback the dealers, uh, how they feel about that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Just because it's a bit of a two-way street and this is one direction that they're going. Um mm-hmm. The panel included uh, Women Writers Now founder Genevieve Schmidt and Sarah, as you mentioned, um, at BMW Motorrad, as well as a couple other people um, on basically Moira, the... was it there, was she? I don't think so. Um, people on the OEM spectrum, as well as uh, an attorney that's a female at Polaris and uh, MSF structures, et cetera. Um, basically, they were just saying that um, the ability, the motorcycle industry's ability to engage and serve women riders uh, received a, an average grade from the panelists. Um, so yeah, it's, I think mostly related to that panel, uh, that article will post. It doesn't really serve to, to help as far as uh, being critical and not having a whole lot of, this is how you fix it. Uh, I tend to stray away from too many things. If Well, first of all, if someone ever criticizes me or if I choose to criticize someone else, I don't just say, hey, by the way, you suck, and then walk away. Um, usually it's, you suck because dot, dot, dot. Um, let's work on this. Um, so uh, that article, I will say, happened that that panel happened uh, about 20 days after a uh, smaller recent startup uh, women's ADV magazine launched which is called 
Women ADV Writers. You can find them on Facebook. They also have a website called womenadvwriters.com. And uh, they basically publish, uh, they just published their first actual hard copy magazine, but they also have plenty of uh, digital content available to non-paid subscribers. And one of the um, things they were getting feedback for a little while ago, so I had to go dig for the article, was, uh, Dear Dealers, What Women Want is the the title. And of course, (laughs) oddly enough, they put it under fluff, but I think it's a little bit more important than that. Um, it's really interesting because it, it gives not just the bad, but it also includes, there's a couple anonymous, uh, comments that they use for the bad portion. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then they also, uh, cheered a couple of really great experiences that a few women have had. Mm -hmm. And it also gives, um, suggestions on how dealers should be. Uh, handling the experience with women, um, how to improve upon that, as well as uh, how, as women, you need to be empowered to discuss the poor customer service experience you have. I think what the article kind of suggested that a lot of people are just enraged and exit, which, I mean, (laughs) I'm sure I've done that sometimes. Um, so it kind of gives a couple of tips on how to, uh, speak up and share your concerns because if you walk away, they know you're mad, but they don't know why. And Mm -hmm. guys are dense. We know this, not all of them. I know I'm not speaking on behalf of men everywhere, but, um, I think the most common, most common thing among my male friends is that they don't know why their spouse, girlfriend, significant other is pissed off because the woman doesn't tell them. So, um, we can all learn from this experience, but, uh, needless to say, starting from the top with, um, with some experiences, there was, uh, let's see, I think the there are some very sexist things that I won't even get into. Um, there, there was something uh, that Moira said, and Moira uh, is a friend of ours. Mm-hmm. She owns a company Power. called Power Trip Industries. Mm-hmm. She uh, does some motorcycle marketing. She's involved with BMW. You can see her um, managing the show floor at a lot of the um, motorcycle uh, IMS shows. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the late fall and uh, winter, and she had said, Bene. "Yeah, um, you have to yeah, keep showing sorry. up." <laughs> Looking at helmets at a dealership once, and the sales guy said, "Oh, you don't you don't want those helmets. They're they're specifically for racing." And she oh. said, uh, uh, "Why why would I not want that? Uh, where does the penis go?" <laughs> Um, suggesting that it's male specific for a very specific reason. And as Joanne will probably tell you, That's funny. Um, there is no male specific helmet. There really isn't a female specific helmet either. Mm-hmm. I know shoe birth has one, but in all honesty, nope. head shapes, I don't think are influenced by females or males. And if someone really knows uh, cranium uh, science, <laughs> feel free to chime in and well. tell me otherwise. But I think that's the one thing we can say that men and women share equally is just, you know, you're you're an egghead, you're an oval, you're this. Joanne's got all the technology, it's or all the the terminology. It's 
it makes me roll my eyes a little bit. But anyway, my point point being, we've all had some dealership experiences. I know I've talked about mine when I first walked in. Um, it's pretty common actually in this article is when I walked into a, a BMW dealership for the first time and I was with my very tall ex-boyfriend and they basically greeted him and said, how can I help you? And we're looking straight at him and he kind of lowered his eyes and pointed to me. <laughs> and instantly the guy just was like, I've totally lost this sale. Um, Did he though? He, yeah, well, but he did. He he didn't lose the sale because I was ready to buy. We did discuss pricing on bikes, but I actually found a better, you know, price. Oh. So I, I think, um, you know, the the overall is uh, usually when women go buy things, and maybe I'm being a stereotype, uh, Mary. I'm, maybe I'm stereotyping because this is how I operate. But I tend to not just immediately put a lot of trust into anyone working anywhere that's trying to sell me something. I like mm -hmm. to educate myself to some extent. And believe me, I don't go in somewhere knowing absolutely everything. And, you know, I want to buy this, but I, I know enough to be able to engage them to mm -hmm. at least show them, Hey man, I've done some research here. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to have to take that. I just want to sell you the most expensive thing on the floor or, uh, some other assertion that you may have about me to try to sell me something and go, Oh, okay. So she knows what she's talking about. Well then, you know, let's, let's, let's tango. Let's discuss this. Mm -hmm. I tend to yeah. have a little bit of, of knowledge going in. So when I went in there, I knew that I was looking at the uh, F650 GS. Maybe would have considered the G, but I really just wanted a twin. So, um, that, that is something that I would say is empowering um, it's practical as far as, you know, my opinion is concerned to know what you want to discuss, um, to not just walk in somewhere blindly and hope that someone else is going to make a good decision for you, because we all know that that's not, uh, that's few and far between. Um, there were some comments about dealers not knowing what motorcycle to recommend or the staff within the dealership, not knowing what to recommend and, you know, automatically go for something with a lowered seat height. Well, you know, if you knew what you were looking for, hey, so I understand that this has a seat height of this, but then, you know, this is more of the bike that I'm interested in. What kind of, you know, accommodations could be, accommodations could be made to uh, take the bike that is slightly out of my threshold of comfort and bring it there? Mm -hmm. You know, knowing, knowing kind of what you're after, I think, um, is going to help you a little bit. Now, if you're at a completely sexist dealership, well, then... Um, you'll definitely know <laughs> if you're educated enough to have that discussion only to be, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Talk down to condescending, uh, mm -hmm. having someone be condescending. So, um, a lot of complaints they brought up, uh, in addition to that, uh, being ignored if they walked into a dealership alone, um, being, being directed towards a smaller motorcycle constantly, mm -hmm. Uh, lots of images within a dealership that aren't really supportive of women riders. Lots of lots of things that you would see in like uh, a car garage, an automotive garage in like the 90s, which are, you know, bikini clad women standing next to 
um, you know, aftermarket parts. Uh, those kind of things in a dealership where you actually have women's gear and kind of want to sell to women or at least be open to that, um, probably not good to have up on your walls. Um, yeah. Let's see. Small gear section, we can get to that. Uh, lied to about servicing. Um, mm. You know, that's something also. Uh, I do my own oil changes. Believe me, I'm no uh, skilled maven doing um, valve adjustments. There are people that do that. I just prefer not to go down that path. I will do all the little things. I will do chain adjustments. I will change my oil, change my filter, um, clean mm -hmm. my chain, do all the basic, like really basic stuff that doesn't require a whole lot of technical skill. Yeah. Because I like to save money and because it really isn't that big of a deal to me because I don't um, – send the uh, contents of my oil off to get tested for very small metal particles. I'm totally aware of seeing it. I don't need to pay $200 for an oil change. Um, really, the only time that an oil change is a drag on a dual sport is when you have a skid plate. And then you have to take mm. that thing off. And then there's lots of swearing. And so <laughs> consequently, having done these basic things and going into a dealership, I'm pretty specific. All right, don't touch the oil. I just did the oil change. Do not change my oil. It does not need to be touched. Okay, what else is on your list of things that you do for the X mile service? Okay, yeah, already did that. Okay, next, you know, and they're making notes as they're going through on the actual paperwork. Um, hmm. So that, that kind of thing, if you're a little bit engaged and you just don't kind of blindly walk into something, you know you're not going to be, well, you would hope that you're not going to be taken advantage of and they're going to be taking you seriously because you kind of know what you're talking about. Um, and that, I think, is just a function of both poor customer service when you want to be, you know, when they're trying to take advantage of you and just uh, blindly looking for an extra dollar. Um, it definitely doesn't help you, whether you're male or female. I'm pretty sure men get uh, mm -hmm. get screwed on service as well. I know it's not just a solely a, a female experience. Um, apparently, there are some dealerships that won't let women test drive uh, bikes. Really? I, I guess. <laughs> I don't know where specifically in the country it is. Huh. Um, there were a couple of places they called out, readers called out, that said that they had great experiences. Eurosport in Asheville. Um, Triumph of Seattle. Let's see. What else? Let's see. There's a contribution from South Australia. Um, and then like a place in Vancouver who actually, after talking to the salesperson the salesperson referred that particular female to a competing dealership because they didn't have uh anything in stock that the female might like mm -hmm. and um cycle gear has a lot of really positive uh responses and utilize both men and women in their uh posters and their kind of decor if you will at their place and actually cycle gears ceo is female correct I wonder if remember. that I want to say yes. There is a change that happened at Cycle Gear a couple of years ago, and I want to say that there is either a female on the board or a female CEO or VP. But um, not sure whether or not uh, if anyone has. I don't. I don't go into a Cycle Gear. If anyone has anything to contribute over how they might have seen Cycle Gear evolve over the last couple of years, um, that would be awesome. Would love to hear from you guys. Tips for women who encounter poor service. 
Um, and this is pretty much goes across the board for anyone, women or oh. men. Um, it doesn't solely have to be female. Do you have something to throw in? Yeah. So uh, the uh, this is a this is the press release from January 2015 when J.W. Childs bought Cycle Gear, and uh-huh. uh, Tracy Wan. She was COO in 2009 and was promoted to president and joined the board of directors. Gotcha. Yeah, I knew there was someone up there. I don't know that that's changed since they also acquired, you know, since JW got together with uh, Komodo to purchase both of them. I'm not sure if that if her role changed, but Uh I need to double check that. Yeah, Um, but but yeah. uh, You know, and as far as women who encounter port service, this also goes to men. State your needs. You know, in the moment, it's easy to be pissed off and walk away. But um, introduce yourself. Tell them what you ride. Tell them what you're looking for. Um, Give salespeople the benefit of the doubt. Um, Instead of assuming someone is being purposefully sexist, uh, assume that they haven't encountered any women who ride before and be friendly and assertive as you shop. And, of course, my recommendation, assertive, that comes from knowing what you're talking about. You can't be assertive about stuff you don't know, um, you know, what you're talking about. Or or at least I guess you can, but it would be blind. (laughs) Use, use humor, of course, uh, Moira's anecdote about men's helmets and uh, the penis part. Um, and uh, there was uh, apparently an instance where a, a female teased a guy at a parts counter because he couldn't find the brake rotor that she had placed on hold, and he assumed that she was picking up gear. Oh. And she called that out. Uh, and the guy probably learned, as did the sales uh, rep that I talked to um, when I went into that BMW dealership years ago. Uh, do your research. Oh. They definitely recommend that as do I um I've only got a couple more so let me get that before we get to your (gasps) moment uh ask for upper management if you feel that you're being slighted Mm -hmm. uh if you're trying to be direct and you still feel that your needs are not being met uh met ask for someone in charge um leave public reviews if you've attempted to engage the dealership personnel and you still leave dissatisfied the internet is a a lovely place that can go both ways on um on reviews and commentary so uh feel free to chime in if you feel so inclined and then of course give credit where credit is due if you have uh, some stores or some places that are being especially supportive Make sure you recommend that or let them know, hey, by the way, this was a great experience. I've been slighted in the past. Um, so, yeah, just had to uh, to share that. I always like, uh, you know, not just criticism, but, hey, this is how we should help. So I think I'm going to send this link along to some of those people on that panel because it's unfortunate. There are mm-hmm. so many websites, publications, things you know, when you're when you're really busy, if you're working in the motorcycle industry, it's almost like 60 hours a week um, and you're you're probably getting paid for 40. So you don't have mm-hmm. a lot of time to sit back and read lots of articles. So it's a bummer that uh, this article wasn't read prior to that panel. And it'll be interesting to see how the folks in the dealer news um, well, spectrum handle the opinion that they're failing because it's uh, it's. 
I'm not saying it's not deservedly judgmental, right. but it is judgmental and well, it's, it's judgmental to the sure, and it's right. uh, judgmental to the actual people who are in the network. So it'll be interesting uh, what the follow up with that is. Yeah, because I do find it interesting that Dealer News would write the article fully from the side of dealers aren't doing a great job. That's mm-hmm. so I mean, I, I don't know. I was uh, gasping before because I was reading the reader quotes from people's experiences in different stores and just the things that had happened to them or things that male salespeople had said to them. You can straddle any bike with those legs. Yeah, that's the stuff that I decided to overlook and not discuss. I know, but they're they're real. These are real experiences and, and it's awful um and it happens all the time not even just motorcycles right you go into a car dealership and the sales guy looks at your man friend and not at you or they ask if you want a station wagon you know versus i don't know the children Yeah. yeah um so i find that a lot of these experiences are similar for us when we're even just at regular shopping. Anywhere. Yeah, anywhere, yeah. not just motorcycling. But, um, you know, I think any industry that's male-dominated will always will have these issues until we can really even out the the numbers a little bit. But uh, Yeah, no, actually, I'd like to trade up my station wagon for a muscle car. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? Right? That's what I'm after. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I. It'll be interesting what happens um, to further this discussion along. But uh, yeah, yeah, I I know that there's uh, a lot out there that kind of needs to be done, and you know, I think someone said it best. We don't want our exclusive. We don't want exclusivity. No. We just want equal inclusivity. Equal inclusivity. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we um, just want to be included. Yeah, and just don't. That's all. Don't make all the ads about us. No. We don't need five women in one ad. No. We don't need, uh, I mean, obviously the gear thing. That might be women-specific a little bit better. But, um, yeah. you know, uh, we don't need women-specific helmets or motorcycles. Uh, just more mm-hmm. options. I think uh, as far as there might be a couple of brands that might make motorcycles that are a little tall. You know, if there's a, an ability to take the same motorcycle without having to produce a brand new motorcycle and just tweak it a little bit, then you've got opportunity there. Not just for female uh, females, but for mm-hmm. men as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and as far as the gear stuff, because they did go into gear a little bit about that dealer news piece. Yeah. Um, you know, there there are two, as, as someone brought up in there, you know, men kind of fall under one spectrum, I think, which is straight up and down. They don't have hips. They don't have a varying amount of hips. They don't necessarily have a varying amount of ass either. Um, they do have a varying mm-hmm. amount of stomach, mm-hmm. uh, yep. <laughs> which, which I think is probably like the biggest struggle. Yeah, yeah. stomach and thigh. Those are usually uh, for, the big issues. For fitting men. But um, yeah. Women have uh, quite a variety of shape, but I think if you tried to distill it into the most basic uh, forms, 
at least as far as I've known from the last, you know, geez, I don't know, five, six, how long have we known each other? That there's a European five? fit and American fit. Four, I can't even remember. Um, Cambria years ago, but uh, there are a couple of different, you know, oh, fits. Cambria. European would be, uh, <laughs> European would be, um, Slim, uh, tall, reasonable shoulders. You know, you're not necessarily a football player. I'm kind of a little bit towards the end of the reasonable spectrum. My shoulders are pretty good size, but um, you know, you don't you don't carry a lot of boob. You don't carry a lot of stomach. You don't necessarily carry a lot of hip. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can have uh, a little more fullness to that. So yeah. the size is almost straight up and down, but not really. And then. Um, more curvy, more, uh, more shoulder, more boob, more stomach, um, more hips. and then just, yeah, more, more hips. More and, uh, yeah. So, so that would be more of the American fit. And if you were to grab a couple average Americans and grab a couple average Europeans, you can probably see the, the resemblance that I'm talking about. So I, I fit in the European fit, but sometimes I have problems because I got more booty than most Europeans. Hmm. Um, I do have a little more hip, so things that fit me at the waistline as opposed to just fitting me at the lower waist, which is like right above the hip. Um, I did discover that yesterday because I rode and I wore my my Revit Gore-Tex, uh, Legacy Gore-Tex gear, which I've held on to very tightly um, because it fits really good. And I went to adjust the waist. And then when I went to take it off, I couldn't take it off. I had to loosen up the waist because it's, you know, it's essentially like a bag. If you're going to have a waist on something and you've got larger hips or a booty, it's going to have to open and go up over your shape in the largest position. And then when it's sitting at your natural waist as opposed to lower, you're going to have to hopefully, I mean, I'm guessing you're... uh, have similar issue with me where your your um, waistline goes in a little bit and if you don't have the ability to kind of cinch the waistline you end up wearing a paper bag um that's pretty much been a problem i've had my entire life so revit did a great job in that older um which they don't sell anymore which is a huge bummer um that legacy gore-tex setup because they have the waist cinching and it fit and it just yeah it's it's kind of been my benchmark to kind of wonder how um wonder how well it sold how many women praised it uh, if there was any negatives on that and that would be something that only revit would be able to answer because i kind of think of that as a as a benchmark for sizing um, because it was able to kind of compromise. I mean, Joanne wore the same, we're not, you know, the same body type by any stretch, but Joanne mm. wore the same, <laughs> the same outfit. Yeah. Joanne wore the same outfit. I don't think she has enough. She has, she doesn't have the kind of booty that I do, but, uh, no, I do want it though. <laughs> It'd be so nice. But yeah. And I can't, I mean, of course I can think of two people further apart from the spectrum to wear the same gear, but, um, for all intents and purposes, like Joanne and I could wear the same outfit. So it's kind of, uh, interesting. And I, I really, um, miss that. And I haven't tried or compared it. Joanne would be able to answer this question. I haven't tried or compared it to their newer stuff, um, to see whether or not it's similar. So mm, that's something you can answer. 
Yeah, some There's of their sand. Stuff is. Don't they make a sand for women that kind of replaced it? Kind of. They actually discontinued that when they came out with the Horizon. Mm. So they... is Horizon Gore-Tex uh, no. Gore-Tex in the liner, or no. is it the waterproof shell thing or, or mm. liner or something? No. So Horizon's their waterproof membrane. They have the uh, Neptune, which is the Gore-Tex removable liner option. The Horizon's mm. a different jack, different jacket with I'm trying to remember with a fully waterproof shell with direct venting and then a removable thermal liner. I need to double triple check that. I dig the removable thermal liners mm-hmm. because that's what the Legacy Gore-Tex had, and I virtually yeah. never wear them. They're shoved in a corner of the closet. Um, I don't like it when your thermal liner is coupled with your waterproofing Mm -hmm. because if you're in a climate that gets hot then you have to remove the one thing that you need for example when i was out um out in greenville years ago doing the bmw performance course it was hot and humid and it was raining and all the vents were open on that jacket i had the liner out because the liner was thermal only and it was great I, you know, I'm not someone who gets especially hot. I actually, yeah. I actually like it right around 75 to 80, to be honest. So maybe I'm, you should know where the information is coming from. But, um, I had all of the vents open and I thought that jacket was perfect. Yeah, so. no, me too. But, uh, you know, I'm, I think we're both alike in that we're comfortable in, in warm weather, you mm-hmm. know, at least to wear gear in warm weather. We're okay with that. And we don't overheat quickly. Like we have a good tolerance and we're mm-hmm. comfortable without needing a, a big mesh jacket just because we're, we'd rather be a little warmer and then, yeah, just kind of suffer a little bit in the heat because the cold is so much, I think, more painful for both of us as mm-hmm. far as our comfort level. Uh, it kind of goes, I'd say, both ways. Some people, they hate being hot. And there's no way they could live in our jackets because it wouldn't give enough ending. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's cool. Some people need it. Yeah, the other my, way. my moto husband's like that. <laughs> he wears yeah. he wears mesh mm-hmm. when it's 60. Yeah. <laughs> he just has. And he's not he's not o- overweight. You know, he's a big guy, but he's not uh, he's not overweight. I would consider him maybe average to uh, mm-hmm. to healthy like five, and nine, um, sixty or something. Oh well, yeah, yeah sure. Uh, he's definitely not five nine, but oh, yeah, well, you he's know. average, right? Um, and he is always wears mesh. Like I don't know what kind of environment he would need to drop down into something like when yeah. he says it's cold, it must be exceptionally icy. And uh-huh. me, on the other hand, uh, I'm I'm almost never wearing mesh. Although I did like yeah. that Levante jacket um, when yeah. I had it, but uh, yeah, I think that's also important, you know, for gear that uh, in order to accommodate two people who vary on at least the heat spectrum, you mm-hmm. have to have enough options. Either yeah. offer vent, you know, a, a more of a mesh jacket and, and then another, you know, thicker jacket mm-hmm. or just offer more actual vents, uh, zip vents in the jacket. And, you know, zip vents are expensive. So, uh, or so I've been told, uh, the more little accoutrement that you deal with mm-hmm. on a jacket, the, the more it drives the manufacturing price up. Yeah. But, uh, I've always appreciated the vents, the best vents ever, um, 
Well, I mean, Climb had some good vents mm-hmm. on their uh, on their women's jacket. Yeah. Best vents ever, I will say, is uh, Pit. Because yes. when I stop moving, that is where I just, I mean, that's yeah. where I start to get hot. Yeah. That's where when, when I'm not going fast, when I'm, maybe I'm, I'm suited up, but I've just discovered that I didn't pack something or there's something wrong with the motorcycle. I'm ready to go and I'm not moving and I start to panic and then I start to, to sweat and I'm just like, oh God, um, pit vents is an absolute must. And I mean, the, the Revit ones kind of came from maybe mid shoulder and then kind of looped underneath. Those are great uh, vents at the arm um, from mm-hmm. like the wrist to maybe mid forearm mm-hmm. uh, was good. Um, vents somewhere like the chest. On the pants. chest yeah, is nice. vent, vertical. Chest, chest nice. vertical chest vents is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on my Legacy Gore Tex, it was just uh, pockets there and not it's actual chest vents. Side chest, like kind yeah. of underneath almost close to the armpit and then yeah, yeah just in the that, back but those pit vents are amazing um i've worn jackets uh from other companies that were gore-tex that only had a tiny vent in in an obscure place <laughs> that never gets cold or hot on me <laughs> and so it's just like why is this here um, back vents also critical. Yeah. I think some of the best jackets I have have two back vents on either side. So anyway, um, not to go too far deep into the gear, uh, rabbit hole, but, um, it, at a minimum, there are two types of female forms. And even then there's a lot of variety within. So unfortunately, if you wanted to make one line that satisfied, uh, as many women as possible, um, you wouldn't be able to do it, but you would be able to if you offered an American fit and a European fit. And, you know, that's, uh, yeah. you know, something else I was going to say, you might have some experience in this. There are a lot of uh, events, you know, female events that I see, uh, female oriented events, or even just, you know, track days where you've got the opportunity as a gear provider to kind of have a little booth if you're a manufacturer as opposed to a dealer, then you, you probably have access to as many of your stock as you can. Whereas dealers are probably reluctant to bring out everything they've got because it's a hassle, because lots of people are touching this stuff. They might not buy it. Um, mm-hmm. If you're a manufacturer and you have a booth, what is the harm in bringing one size, one of each size that you carry I don't know. and having an instant order. Hey, we can place your order. And, you know, based on, uh, our, our crew is ready based on, you know, this weekend event. If the size small fits you, then I will place the order right now and they will get it to ship Monday or Tuesday. Like just having something like that, where it's one size of everything, you don't necessarily need to sell it that very day as far as like take it home with you. Mm-hmm. But I would think that if dealerships were equipped with at least one jacket, you know, if you walk into a BMW dealership, let's say, and you want to buy a, a Revit jacket because they carry the Revit line in addition to some other things, what about just stocking one of every size? And as a female, you just have to understand that if you want it fast, you're just going to have to to wait for it to ship as opposed to taking it home that day. If you can't wait, worst case scenario, you go into a dealership, you're able to try it on, you order through Revzilla, they ship it in 48 hours, you know, what what have you. 
I don't, I don't understand why that doesn't happen more often to have one of each size and to just leave it as the try on. If it's a brand like a, you know, a Dionese or something, many of them can't sell directly because they don't have that set up, so to speak. So not all brands sell direct to the consumer. Off the top of my head, I know that Alpine Stars does. Like if you go to their website, Alpine Stars USA, you can buy something and they'll ship it to you. Or Dionese, I believe you can also purchase from them directly. But a lot of um, brands don't. And they leave it to the dealer to actually do the commerce portion, like the purchase, you know, to make the money directly. Yeah. Right? So So then the opportunity would be the the manufacturer of the gear would ship over, uh, you know, a single size of each and then have the The, booth staffed by the local dealer. You would think, you would think, um, I I don't know. I think some dealers don't have the resources to maybe staff a separate booth, I guess. I'm also guessing that because what they would make to sell uh, enough product to balance out the cost of providing that product maybe but also I would also guess the interest isn't there like I, I'm sure many of them just they don't have any interest in going to an event creating a booth spending the money to hire you know send their people or a person to to get product out uh, figuring out what product to bring, um, ordering that product up front, even if it's just a size run is still, you know, could be thousands of dollars of mm-hmm. product. And that's still a monetary investment to sell however much back, however much will they make? Is that enough profit for them? Is that, does that cost them money? Is it, something they'll actually benefit from. And I'm sure from a business perspective, it's hard to balance those because if you can use the same amount of manpower and make more money selling bikes that day, then what are you going to do as a business owner? Are you going to spend money to sell a little bit of, of product that you, you'll make a little money not the kind of money if you keep those employees in your shop selling everything else you would normally sell. So that's just business, right? You make less money and you have less resources. What's the most obvious choice there? So I think a lot of it's just time and money aside from the interest of wanting to do that and participating because it costs a lot of money to pay for your people to go to places and you know set up a booth and provide product it's a whole thing and uh I think if the numbers don't work then any business person would be like no why would I go and spend all that money and make less money when I could just stay right here and make three times as much money you know, as a small business, a lot of dealers are small businesses, and those I think are expenses they can't sacrifice. Because you can just come to my store, and I'll sell you all the stuff that you want, and then I don't have to, you know, go to an event and pay, whatever, a thousand dollars, whatever dollars to an event, who has me rent this table. You know what I mean? I think a lot of it does come yeah. down to money, 
and it's it's unfortunate but it's these are still people who i'd say a lot of these dealerships they're families uh, they're individuals who spend a lot of money to provide services for you and it's a big investment to to try to i think just run your business and um those kinds of decisions are probably really difficult to make but um I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just I'm saying sure. in order to, to better accommodate, you know, women's gear, you, you kind of want to have like sizing. Yeah. If And, and what's the absolutely. best, like the lowest investment you could possibly make that you would have to commit, you know, cost wise yeah. would be to have one of each size as opposed sure. to 50 of everything. And if there is, you know, something that, that not dealerships, but, um, something that the manufacturers can do in terms of providing a product that shows like the, like, I don't know, maybe they have one size where, or one actual jacket that is 100% um, the way it is manufactured. And then they send you something that's not quite the same, but you can gauge fit off of. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm yeah, just throwing absolutely. things out there. Yes, they're, that's they're totally just, something you can do. I am, absolutely. I am absolutely someone who likes to try things on because I'm just so Everybody funky. Everybody does. <laughs> but you're not alone in that, Christy. Everybody yeah. wants to try stuff on everyone. And so uh, absolutely those tech, those things, those strategies should be used and could be used. But I've always said that it's always up to the these dealers and owners and brands to have interest and and want to support these you know events or or to support the ridership base at an expense and and I think unfortunately a lot of it comes down to money sure in a perfect world they love to be able to come out and provide these things but it always comes back to money so I'd say, yeah, for certainly to save money and to maybe make it the least expensive um, enterprise. Yeah, bring, why not pick a one size run of something that you you could sell and then possibly sell other things based off of. That's a, yeah, that's a really nice way you could like ship, ship the product to wherever you're going to set up a table and yeah, you probably can sell a lot, but also there has to be interest, right? Mm -hmm. The dealer has to go, yeah, I want to support this revved up women's expo, or I want to support the women's sport by growling. And I, and I want to do that. And I have a resource. Then they got to go find somebody who will do that. Maybe it's not, of course, the owner of the dealership, but maybe it's an employee, but I think if yeah. they can do it, yeah, hell yeah, they should. Because women have a lot of money. We have a lot of buying power. What is it? It's like 51% of, what is that stat? Where most financial decisions in America are made by the women of the household. Right? Money is managed by, I think, I think the majority of households in America are managed by women. Right? Uh, I'm going to find a, a, Reese, a link I'm, for that. I'm pretty good with money. I can't help it. Um, Not long-term investing. You won't find me right. excited about 401k and stock <laughs> options. But, um, right. you know, for the most part, I think I'm not too much of a spendthrift. Right. Like just Although the, fact... the amount of motorcycle patches I've paid for and acquired to make this jacket I'm working on is just absurd. But, you know, <laughs> back to back to the gear thing. <laughs> 
sorry. So I just found a, an article to kind of what I was thinking of um, about 51% or $14 trillion of American personal wealth is now controlled by women. And this is an article from 2015. So that number I'm sure has changed in, in the last couple of years, but um, that that's huge that a lot of women have control over or just have access to all that wealth. And um, I'd say at like women specific events, there's a lot of us shopping to buy stuff, right? Who are there to spend some money and, but it always comes down to the people to make it happen. Right. So dealers, if you want to make it happen, you can totally make it happen. But there has to be interest. And hopefully mm -hmm. some dealers will. Yeah, I hope some brands and dealers will get together to to support these kinds of events. But every time I always hear the same answer, it just doesn't financially make sense. We're losing money. We can make more money just sitting here. I'm like, well, it's not... Okay, but you're only going to sell X. It's kind of like yeah. the uh, the the idea at a at a gas station. Um, I'm going to charge two dollars for gas, and the guy across the street's going to be like, you know, probably somewhere competing or up or down. Um, as the guy across the street thinks to himself, "How do I undercut this guy without completely going dry? Do I?" Do I match it and sell a certain number of gallons or do I drop a couple cents below in hopes that I have, you know, 50 times the business, in which case he's still turning a profit more so than the other guy, even for undercutting the price. I, you know, it's those kinds of risk thoughts always come into my head in terms of that. You want to, uh, you want to make more, you're going to have to spend more. I mean, that's like yeah. the fact of life. Yeah. No, so true. And I would say a lot of these, a lot of companies too, they don't necessarily have people in their organizations that really know what they should do. Like ideas like what you just expressed. I'm sure a lot of these companies and, and, and businesses, they don't have people there who even know where to begin to even. That's a CFO question. Right? I'm pretty sure. I mean, if just I have the right position. As far as like just people who are who would even be interested or even bring that idea to the table. You know what I mean? Like to yeah. have just people there who are enthusiastic and interested and passionate and supportive. That has to happen first. There has to be someone's like, yeah, we want to support this. We should totally do this. Otherwise you're just persuading a bunch. You have to persuade people with, Unfortunately, I think with money and that's all they think about. They're not thinking about it in terms that you and I certainly would think about. And so that's I'm sure that's also a big issue, too, is not yeah. having well, spending more voice. to make more is a risk. Yeah, is an inherent risk. Absolutely. But well, we're happy with what we've got right now. They're only 15% of the market. That's probably not a lot. Some of them don't even wear gear. They go out on their yeah. they go out on their bikes and they're just wearing torn jeans yes. and a half-faced helmet um, or half half helmet, however the phrasing goes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not right. a financial person. I didn't study finance. I don't study marketing. I've got none of those uh, qualifications. I just speculate, throw shit out there, and I'm sure someone is saying, no, Christy, that can't be done because it's just not, you know, financially feasible. Right. It's like, that's great. Yeah. 
but you're getting free advice from the peanut gallery. Uh, at some point, something I say is going to be meaningful. That's what I tell people. So. Or if anything, those the money people could figure out, a, they're the ones to figure out a way to make it happen, right? To make it financially viable. But um, people are always the key. You have to have the right people and the mindset, right? And the willingness and just you got to have the attitude as well to support us, to support your customers and to care about them. I mean, like that right there is, I think, lacking in a lot of businesses, not just mm-hmm. motorcycles, you know. So I think we've probably talked out of our asses more than we, you know, normally are, do <laughs> more than we're qualified to do. Um, of course. But we, I, I just throw ideas out there. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm yeah. talking out of my ass. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have all the answers. I certainly never say that I do. But uh, you know, I've got opinions, and I'm sure something is. There is someone out there that is listening mm-hmm. that is saying, you know, if we did this, but then this, um, yeah. then hey, we're being helpful. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, I so you six listeners. <laughs> You definitely Although, let you might us have know. lost one this week. Sorry, I'd be yeah, out of five. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> yeah, but um, if you have any opinions, uh, I think we brought up uh, about cycle gear. You know, changing the guard in the last uh, five to ten years. If you've noticed a shift in um, better access to uh, female customers, we'd love to hear about it. We'd love to hear about your feedback on on gear as always um how you've been approached to dealerships whether or not you think some of these articles that we've referenced specifically the women adp writers um if you find that helpful uh if you feel that you've been somehow insulted at a dealership and didn't take your opportunity to call them out on it and you walked away mm-hmm. you could go and find a arbitrary email address and you could send that dealership the link that <laughs> the link to the women adp writers mm-hmm. post yeah. Um, anonymously. Or, you know, just yeah, that's throw, the, throw the link on a piece of paper in an envelope with a stamp and don't put a return address and just kind of see, you know, what happens. Um, there's that. It's a good idea. Yeah. So we, we thank you for tuning in to this episode, which was, I guess, mostly female oriented. But, you know, all that stuff goes both ways as far as... Um, being constructive uh, to your customer base, absolutely. whether it's female or male. Yep. Um, and, you know, uh, as a consumer, kind of having an idea of what you're looking for. Because I think with anything, when you wander in completely br- blind, there is an inherent risk to be led down the way of whomever's opinion uh, you're talking to. So it's, it's a rare occasion that I wander in Home Depot with a completely open mind and no research behind it. <laughs> True, but I mean, in very rare cases, hopefully you will find a really great store like a Revzilla or something where people aren't uh, trying to give you just one solution and just kind of opening your mind up to different options. But I don't think we're as lucky to find. It's hard to find businesses that kind of treat you that way. It's hard to find you know, a, a retail store or a place that will kind of guide you and give you an overview 
of what you're up against without having done your own homework. So I would say I definitely have to agree with Christy, though, that you should do a little, you don't have to become an expert, but, you know, you poke around, Google, you Google, you type in some questions, you get a, a feeling, you get an idea for answers and kind of a general um, overview of what you're trying to do. And then hopefully you find some experts to give you really great insight and advice. So thanks for listening. Yeah. What is this? Find 95? us on the interwebs. Can't remember. Yeah, no, 94. 94. I'm find sorry. Us, sorry. Find us on the interwebs <laughs> at uh, motorific.com. And if you're trying to remember, why is this website not working? It's a terrific motorcycle podcast. <laughs> so therefore, you should have terrific with an M-O in front of it. There is no M-O-T-O-R. We tried that. It's already taken. So a terrific motorcycle podcast that will help you out with your spelling of this um, I get so many emails of people who do not look at my business card when they type and say, did you get my email? And I'm like, no, it is not M-O-T-O-R. Um, as well, we're both on Instagram and social media, uh, GearChick on most every platform at, uh, at GearChick, and then myself on Instagram at MoTerrificMedia, and ADV Goddess on Facebook. We'll see you next time, hopefully in a couple weeks. Bye.